Good morning and welcome to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome to Father's Day. Thanks so much for joining in with us. Uh, we are glad that you are here. It is Father's Day. We're in the middle of our Men of Action series. And so Men of Action, we've been looking at men from the Word of God. What are some of the actions that we can learn from them? Uh, just like last month in the month of May, we're looking at women of faith. So taking a look at women, taking a look at men. And um, this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to go there here in just a little bit. But we are, we're reflecting on uh, fathers. Certainly fathers have a great impact and influence in our lives. And I know uh, for myself, I, I think a lot about my dad. I've mentioned before my dad had passed away in 2002, uh, so we're about 18 years now uh, past his passing. But I'm so thankful for a father who knew God, loved God, and raised me to know about and to love and to serve God. And so certainly we're, we're kind of taking a look at what are some of the things, what are some actions that we can do, not just as a father, this is not just for fathers only with everyone else just kind of uh, sitting in. But whether you're a father or a mother, whether you are a son or a daughter, these are some Father's Day actions for you. So we're in Philippians chapter 2. Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, and he's referring to two other men. And we're going to be getting there in a moment, but it's Timothy and Epaphroditus. And these are men who are godly examples to follow. Paul is writing about and encouraging their lifestyles for you and I to be ones to follow. So we're going to be taking a look at a number of Father's Day actions. Father's Day action number one is this. We are to show genuine concern. Checking out Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 19. Paul writes this. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be, may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. It's a, a great encouragement and a great challenge to show genuine concern. First of all, we've got to show concern. Maybe you can look around and, and sometimes the attitude or the atmosphere of individuals is simply this. Well, I just don't care. Or you've heard the phrase, I could care less. And we're not sure if it's I could care less or I couldn't care less. Um, I'm not sure which one's grammatically correct, but we've heard it both ways. In other words, people saying, I don't care. Paul's writing about Timothy, and he is one who does care. He shows genuine concern. So first of all, we've got to show at least some kind of concern or interest in others, but a genuine concern. Sometimes that's a, a little bit tougher to do. Ever maybe been around someone, and it seemed as if they really weren't interested in you, but they were kind of faking it. Or, or maybe you are someone who faked interest in someone or something any good fakers in here paul's saying let's let's not fake interest fake concern but demonstrate genuine concern for other people 
And he, he lists a couple different ways to do that. He says, genuine concern for your welfare. He says, everyone looks out for their own interests, not that of Jesus Christ. So we are to have genuine concern for others as well as genuine concern for the cause of Christ. Now, concern for others. The challenge can be many times we get wrapped up in our own self. I mean, if we're being honest, sometimes that happens, right? We like the words me and myself and I. Those are magic words, aren't they? We love to hear those words. And so sometimes our concern in conversation is shifting that to make sure we're talking about self. What Paul says about Timothy, here's someone who shows concern about other people. Here's someone who's interested in what somebody else is interested in. What they care about, what they want to talk about, what they want to learn about or know about or experience. Sometimes it's challenging to have that concern. Paul's saying this is something, this is an action that you and I would do well to follow. But he says also for the concern of Christ's. Sometimes we can look out for our own interests, our own benefits, but what is it that Jesus Christ is about? What is it that he is wanting for your life and for my life? How is he wanting us to live? How is he wanting us to act? What are the concerns that we might have? And so Paul's saying Timothy is one that we ought to follow. He is showing concern for other people. He is showing concern for that of the cause of Christ. No doubt you have heard this phrase or this quote, I've, I've heard it for years, mentioned it for years, it says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, we can be very, very knowledgeable about things, whether that's in school or at the workplace or in the community. And so we, we know a bunch of stuff. But if we're only trying to impress people with stuff, sometimes that doesn't get across. And the encouragement is to make sure that people know that we love and care about them. And Paul's saying, listen, Timothy, he is one who is doing that. It's a great example for us to follow. So, so think about that in your own life. What might that look like? Whether that's at church, whether that's at home, whether that's maybe at school at some point if our kids go back to school, whether that's in the workplace, whether that's in the community, how can we show genuine concern for other people? Investing in them, talking to them, asking questions about them. Maybe you've been in conversations, uh, maybe getting to meet somebody new or, or maybe connecting with somebody and and you're, you know, you're kind of asking them questions. And you're asking questions about themselves. That's a, a great way to show interest in others. Now, sometimes here's a challenge. Uh, if you've got two people who are looking to show genuine concern about the other people, one person will ask a question about the other. They'll answer and turn it right back, right back around and ask you a question about yourself. And you're like, oh, you know, inside you're thinking, no, not me. I want to talk about you. And like, no, no, not me. I want to talk about you. That's genuine concern. Sometimes it's the opposite, right? Where you feel like, you know, you've got to interrupt the conversation to get a word in edgewise about yourself. So 
in our conversations? Are, are we fighting for, for words about us? Or are we concerned about knowing more about the other person, connecting to the other person? Whether they're new individuals at church in our community, whether they're individuals that we've known for a long time, how are we showing genuine concern? Certainly in the midst of our <clears throat> COVID-19 situation, there's been opportunities to check in on individuals, sometimes by phone or by a visit. A care package of sanitizer and toilet paper would be valuable, right? I mean, that, that's almost worth its weight in gold. Not to say that... Uh, Everybody's got to receive something of monetary value, but finding ways to demonstrate concern. And, and the individuals of your family, they might all be a little bit different. How you treat or how you show concern to one person might look a little different than the other. The quote says this, Too often we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which have the potential to turn a life around. So on this Father's Day, as we look at some of these actions, Paul's saying, here's a great action that I see in the life of Timothy. Timothy shows genuine concern for others. I believe you and I need to do the same. Here's a second Father's Day action. We need to live trustworthy. Live trustworthy. Continuing Philippians chapter 2, verse 22 and following. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. He says, Timothy has proven himself. Just like a son with his father, he has served with me. He's saying Timothy is faithful. Timothy is trustworthy. Timothy is dependable. He is consistent. The scripture before said, I've got no one like him. No one like Timothy. He's faithful and trustworthy and dependable. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. And someone's going to come to mind. And if that someone happens to be in here, don't look at them. Okay? Just keep a blank face. Everybody give me your blank face. Okay? Because I don't know who you're going to be thinking about, but I don't want you looking at anybody or pointing. So I want you to think about somebody. Now, the first one is probably the good category. And if you, know, if you, if you are thinking of somebody in here, that's okay to kind of look at. Second one, you know, just be looking straight. First category. Who is it that comes to mind that when they say something, you can take it to the bank? They are dependable. They are sure. They are trustworthy. If they say they're going to do this, they do it. If they say they're going to be here, then they do it. So you're thinking about some different individuals. Trustworthy faithful, true. Now here comes the second category. And if someone happens to be in that category and they're in here, don't be looking at them. But no doubt, over the years, 
you found as well that maybe someone's not quite as dependable. Could be a family member, could be somebody in school, could be somebody in, in the workplace, somebody in the community, in your neighborhood. And, and you ask them to help out with something, and they say, yeah, I'll be there, and then they forget. Or they say, yeah, I'll show up at such and such a time, but they're very, very late. Or they'll say that they will do this, and they don't. Maybe you've got somebody that comes to mind. See, when Paul is writing about Timothy, he's talking about him in that first category. Timothy is someone who is trustworthy. He's faithful. He's dependable. He, he's not someone who's going to let me down. Proverbs 26 puts it like this. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful or a trustworthy person who can find. Isn't it valuable to find someone, whether it's a friend, a, a spouse, a co-worker, a neighbor, someone who is trustworthy and dependable, you are thankful for them. Timothy's, uh, Timothy's consistency was proven over time. And that's the thing about trustworthiness, right, is that it takes time to develop. Faithfulness, dependability, trustworthiness, it's not an overnight thing. It's built up little by little by little. Sometimes it's almost as if that trustworthiness is, is torn down or lost over time. Sometimes it's lost in a, in a short period of time. The bottom line is someone who has this, this character or this quality of trustworthiness, it speaks to character, it speaks to integrity. Personality makes a great big first impression. But success in the long haul, it's built on someone's character, trustworthiness, dependability. See, our, our character, our integrity, that's who we are when nobody is watching. I mean, right here, we, we got a bunch of us, we're worshiping in church. Everyone's on our best behavior, right? Because we've come to church. How do we act on a Monday morning or a Tuesday night or a Wednesday afternoon or Thursday, Friday, Saturday? How do we react? What kind of character, what kind of integrity, what kind of trustworthiness do we have when it's not Sunday morning at 1030? That's the challenge. And Paul's saying, listen, when it comes to Timothy, as he's writing to the church here at Philippi, he's saying, this is someone that I commend to you. He's someone who has proven himself. It's not just one time he did something good, but time after time after time after time. He was faithful and trustworthy. He was faithful when Paul was around, but he was faithful even when he was outside of Paul's sight. A person with integrity and trustworthiness has nothing to hide. So God's looking for those kinds of individuals. <clears throat> Show genuine concern. Live trustworthy. Thirdly, I believe we need to be a team player. Now, how many of you like basketball? Any basketball fans in here? I might be the only one. And we got a handful of you. For many years uh, growing up and uh, in my college years and, and things, I was a big Chicago Bulls fan. 
Not just because of Michael Jordan. There was this other pretty good guy called Scottie Pippen. And my sister-in-law went to college at the same university as Scotty. Might have had a class with him. Might have seen him in passing. But I began to like the Bulls. And you've probably heard of this guy called Michael Jordan. Arguably, best basketball player ever. And uh, in fact, during the midst of this COVID-19 situation, uh, the ESPN documentary entitled The Last Dance Reference that last year of the Chicago Bulls altogether, they, they won a total of six championships. They won three in a row. Michael Jordan retired. He went and played minor league baseball. And then he came back, and they won three more in a row. So this final year, they, they made this, this uh, documentary about that last year. And when it comes to Michael Jordan, everybody knows how incredible he was. As a, a rookie in the mid-80s, I mean, he was an incredible scoring machine. Individual success, but he, he was challenged with team success. They, they needed a team around him. And little by little, they had other parts and pieces and the coach and this player and that player. And by the 90s, 1991 was their first championship. After he was in the league seven, eight years, something like that. You see, Michael Jordan by himself was incredible, but he needed a team around him. Not a team of all other Michael Jordans. Now, Scottie Pippen was an incredible player. But they had a lot. They had some people for defense and rebounding. And then some just kind of what are called role players, right? Uh, they're, they're not the stars of the team, but they hit a hit a basket every now and then. They get that steal every now and then. They, they contribute. And so you need everybody on this team to succeed. Listen to what Paul writes as we continue in Philippians 2. And now he begins talking about another individual by the name of Epaphroditus. Verse 25. I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. So there's a number of things. We're going to touch on them briefly. But he says, Epaphroditus is my brother. He's not his literal brother. He's not flesh and blood. In fact, Epaphroditus was a Gentile. Paul was a Jew. What he's saying is, He's family. He's, he's such a, a team player. I consider him to be so close to me that we are family. He, he calls him a brother. In fact, Paul writes and uses that term brother over 130 times in the New Testament as he describes relationships. Now, in, in the body of Christ, in church, you've probably heard the term or used the term Certainly much more in previous years, brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. They're not your brother, flesh-wise. They're not your sister, blood-wise. But in Christ, when you and I know Jesus Christ and we've got a relationship with him, we are part of the family of God. We are brothers and sisters. And Paul's saying, listen, he's such a team player I consider him to be like my brother. But he also co calls him a co-worker. 
You might take this phrase and interpret it <clears throat> as one who puts out energy with you. He's a co-worker. So not only did he say he was the brother, he is a co-worker. One who puts out energy with you. As a co-worker, he's got the same task. He's got the same workplace. He's got the same function. The Great Commission. It's reaching people for Jesus. We're working together and serving together. And that's how Paul is referencing Epaphroditus. He's saying, listen, we're part of the same family. Uh, we're a part of the same workforce. But he also calls him a fellow soldier. In other words... We're facing the same enemy. We're facing some of the same dangers. We're facing some of the same risks. We're in a spiritual battle. Ephesians would say we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but it's, it's about the, uh, the forces of the enemy. We've got this same enemy. He's saying, Epaphroditus, we are working together, part of the same family, part of the same workforce, part of the, uh, the same soldier United together against the same enemy. But he also calls him the messenger, your messenger. We've got the same ministry. We've got the work of God that we are to do. Doing what God calls us to do whenever and wherever he calls us to do it. Now, how many of you know being a team player calls for some unity and it calls for some flexibility? Unity means we are working together on the same team for the same goal. That's what all those players on that Chicago Bulls team I referenced, they, they had this desire that no matter what, they were aiming for a championship. Particularly on that very last year, some contentious things going on between ownership and coach. And, and uh, the general manager said, even if our coach goes 82-0, and 0, I'm not bringing him back next year. Wow. So they're rallying the team around the same cause for the same purpose. And Paul's saying, Epaphroditus, that's the kind of team player in the cause of Christ that we need to be. But he also says, it's going to take some flexibility. Because how many of you know that team player who's the role player on the Bulls didn't shine and, and was not in the spotlight like a Michael Jordan? Yet that person was needed for that team to be successful. In the body of Christ, as a team player, we do whatever it is that we are able to do to help God and the cause of Christ move forward. Certainly in our last number of months, we've needed to be flexible. Back in March, we, we shifted as just about everybody else did. We went online for services. And and. School went online, and all, all of these things were kind of shut down as we're trying to be cautious and careful. And, and now, here, the last couple of weeks, we've come back together, but we've done so with, with a handful of some, some cautionary procedures. It takes some flexibility to say, let's, let's just kind of roll with it as a team player. A lot of different changes that have taken place. Now, what's interesting here, Paul is writing to Philippi, and he says, I'm going to send him back to you. Philippi took, and they sent Epaphroditus to Paul. They send him to Paul. 
He's helpful. He's doing great things for Paul. And now he's turning around. They'd sent him to Paul while he was in prison. He was an encouragement. He was a source of strength and assistance. But Paul says, listen, I'm going to send him back to you. Wouldn't that be a little bit of a challenge? You're serving in Philippi. So I'm doing whatever I can. And Philippi says, we want to send you to the Apostle Paul. He's in prison. Go and assist. Okay, whatever you want, I'll do. So he goes, he serves with Paul. And he's effective. He's faithful. And then Paul says, hey, thanks. You've been such a blessing. I'm going to send you back. Sometimes we get used to things as they are. And that, that flexibility of changing, being the team player, I'm, I'm thankful for you. And in the midst of some of our changes, shifting and going online and shifting back here to in-person worship services, but even with still some of the things that we're not able to have or not able to do effectively yet because of all of the COVID-19 things, thank you for being a team player and understanding, being flexible. So Paul's writing about Epaphroditus. He's writing about Timothy. He says, show genuine concern, live trustworthy, be a team player. Number four, he says, let's demonstrate courage. He writes a little bit more about Epaphroditus in verse 27. He says, indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So welcome in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the cause of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Did you catch that? Paul said twice, he almost died. Now, I don't know about you. Sometimes we, we feel as if, you know, we exert a little bit of energy and we get a little bit tired. We think, wow, look at all that I've done. And Paul's talking about Epaphroditus. He's saying, this man literally almost died. Oh, what was the case? Uh, apparently, he was somewhat sick. They sent him, again, from Philippi to the apostle Paul. He was going to minister to Paul while in prison. He was also carrying some of the love offerings and supplies that was sent to him. Along the way, somehow he did become extremely ill. Paul said so sick he almost died. Could have turned around, could have went home, but courageously said, I'm going to finish what I've started. I'm going to make my way to Paul. And Paul's saying he was pretty impressed that Epaphroditus was courageous and finished this task. So we can demonstrate courage. I would submit we can demonstrate courage sometimes in the little things. Being courageous in the little things of life. For me as a dad, sometimes being courageous in the little things means... Fighting with mighty centipedes and spiders. I am the designated assassin of centipedes and spiders, right? You know, those, those words, dad or Mark. So facing spiders and facing centipedes, I mean, they've, they, they've got so many more legs than we do, right? And they can be moving kind of quickly. Obviously, we're, we're a lot bigger and stronger, but 
Sometimes being courageous in, in little things, but more than that, being courageous in big things. That most anybody can squash a, a spider or a centipede. Oh, I'm shaking her head. No, that's for dad. But what about standing up for injustice? What about standing up for the word of God in the midst of a wicked and sinful generation? How about being courageous in some of the bigger things of life? It's much, much more difficult to go against the flow. It's so much easier to go with the flow, isn't it? Isn't it easy to do what everybody else is doing? But what about when the tide begins to turn against the things of God or against what the Word of God says? Are we willing to be courageous and stand for God's Word? God's looking for individuals, kind of like Paul writes about Epaphroditus, who are willing to be courageous in spite of whatever it is that they face, standing with godly values no matter the cost, standing up for the kingdom of God. Are we willing to sacrifice? We would say, well, I'll, I'll squash a spider. But when it comes to standing for the truth of God, I'm not so sure about that. Because things are, maybe things are starting to change at, at the workforce, at the workplace, in the community. Well, we stand for God. So Paul writes about Timothy, and he writes about Epaphroditus, and, and these are some great Father's Day actions. He says, show genuine concern, live trustworthy, be a team player, demonstrate courage. I want to share a final one. This morning, number five, is to receive God's mercy. Back to verse 27. It's a handful of, of words and phrases that really stuck out to me. Paul writes and says that God had mercy on him. Not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. So he's, he's certainly writing about some of the physical things. There was, there was mercy that God had, you know, to, to spare his life. And certainly for Paul's sake, Epaphroditus being sent to him, it's experiencing all of this sickness and illness and, and sparing him physically. But I would submit to you in an even greater way, he's receiving God's mercy spiritually. You and I have that opportunity as well to receive the mercy of God. See, the, the Bible talks about it like this. We, we mentioned this many times. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. I mean, look around. Look around. Whether you want a gift card or not, the Bible says we have all sinned. We've fallen short of what God desires. And yet, God is rich in his love. He's rich in his mercy. He's rich in his grace. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to the cross of Calvary for you and for me. We can receive his mercy we can receive his love. We can receive that forgiveness from a life filled with sin. Now, who's the one writing this? Don't we, we keep talking about Paul. We keep talking about the Apostle Paul. Who in the world was Paul before he was Paul? He was Saul. 
God changed his name as he reached out to him in a mighty way. But we're in Philippians chapter 2, back up in the word of God into the book of Acts. And we see a man by the name of Saul, the Bible says, breathing out murderous threats against the people of God. He was going to do what? To arrest them and put them into prison for serving God. And on the way to Damascus, God got a hold of his heart. God got a hold of his life. He reached out to him, changed and transformed him. And as a result of that spiritual change on the inside, he changed his name from Saul to Paul. And so this man who experienced God's change, God's forgiveness, God's grace, God's mercy, as a man who hunted down Christians to put them to death or put, uh, put them into prison, now is preaching and proclaiming the love and the truth and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And so to me, as he's writing this, it's not just to say that God had mercy on him physically and spared his life and spared me sorrow. I believe he's also referring to that fact of what he has done spiritually. God has had spared Paul's life. God had spared Epaphroditus. And the good news is for you and the good news is for me, we can receive God's mercy. There's all kinds of things we can receive on, on a birthday, on Christmas, anniversary, Mother's Day, Father's Day. There's a lot of gifts given and gifts received. But the greatest thing we can receive is as great as that steak might be that some of you are going to take with your gift cards, greater than that, much greater than that, is receiving God's mercy and grace and forgiveness. That no matter what it is that we've done in our past, no matter what kind of sins we've been involved in, we can take and surrender them to him. Receive his grace, receive his mercy, receive his forgiveness, receive a brand new start. Every single one of us, we can look back in our life and we, we are reminded of sins and things that we have done that were wrong. Things we've done, things we've said, things we'd rather not bring up again. The good news is that God takes every single one of those and forgives them as we come to him and ask him to. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, he will forgive us and cleanse us, forgive us from all of our unrighteousness. So a final Father's Day action is this great reminder to receive God's mercy. We're sinners who have done wrong, but we can receive the mercy of God, the grace, the love, the forgiveness of God. Let's be sure to reach out to him. If you don't know him, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a little bit to receive that grace and that brand new start from him. And if you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you know him and, and you've already received that grace and mercy, then the good news is, Let's extend that. Let's share that with others that they might as well receive God's mercy. So Paul writes, he writes about Timothy. He writes about Epaphroditus and a number of Father's Day 
actions. We've got to show genuine concern. Live trustworthy. Be a team player. Demonstrate courage. And receive God's mercy. 